Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, you're listening to the DPC podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things dead parent, the good, the bad, and the banter, hosted by Sam and Kat. This week, we are switching the roles around, and today I will be interviewing Sam. A few of you might have heard the other week when I myself answered questions from Sam, and we found that to be really useful. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. You'll get to find out more about Sam's experience, where she is now, what the hell she's doing in Australia. <laughs> what the hell she's doing in Australia. <laughs> Literally, what the hell are you doing over there? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> so Sam, can you give us a brief introduction into who you are? So I think everyone knows by now if they've listened. If not, probably go back to episode one and listen to the introduction. <laughs> Obviously, we've spoken about it before that me and Kat have been friends for like four years now. And we became friends basically through both of our parents dying. And since then, so many people that I know have lost a parent. And it's just been really therapeutic for me to go through that with all these other people. Kat was kind of the first friend that I went through it with. (laughs) The best types of friendships are made through losing parents. Honestly, it is. I think all of my friends at the DPC would agree. Yeah, definitely. And I always imagine, like, all of our parents somewhere. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, my God. We're DPC no. friends as well. <laughs> or, like, DPS, <laughs> like, dead parent friends. Oh, no. I'm just thinking, oh, my God, what the hell? Yeah, that's probably looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing, mate? <laughs> no, he'd be like, go on, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, kind of a weird introduction to me but now I'm in Australia because I had like a quarter life crisis so I graduated two years ago I moved to London I was like living the dream <laughs> and hated it and two months later I was like I need to get out Sam I do the last biggest time. job haul you will ever meet <laughs> oh my god literally the worst I had four jobs in the first year at uni. I think it's so I ended up being at uni for four years because I changed my degree like three times in total <laughs> That that kind of um, (laughs) says it all, really. And I think that's kind of the main reason why I'm in Australia. I just just can't commit to any kind of life. So I'm like, I just want to run away for a little bit. You've got a commitment phobia, mate. Do you know, I've actually been thinking about that today. I was like, maybe I'm actually a commitment phobe. To anything. To life. Yeah. But yeah, so that was uh, not really an introduction to me, but introduction to the sitch. Yeah. And where we are now. So this is obviously the DPC podcast. So people listening for the first time, you obviously have some sort of connection to the DPC. How are you affiliated? So my dearest father 
died four years ago. Yeah, four years ago this Christmas. Yeah, I never remember what year it is, which is really bad. I always have to do the maths, but it was after a... I can't even remember how many. It was like a couple of years-ish, I think he'd had cancer. It was one of them where... He got diagnosed, had all the treatment, got the all clear, went back. It had come back. I don't even know if it actually ever fully went, to be fair. And then, yeah, so then he died around Christmas time. So it was on the 20th of December in whatever year it was. I really need to remember this year. Shit, was it 2014? Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a lifetime ago. doesn't it? So, yeah, he died. And then I had a bit of a meltdown. (laughs) And then Kat joined the DPC and I started to get better. (laughs) So basically, my heartbreak was your gain. Yeah, genu- genuinely, mate. <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> if you if your mum had died, I don't I don't know where I'd be right now. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, you might have. I don't even know what you would have been doing now. Anyway, to be honest, you probably would have been down a hole, <laughs> dying. Yeah, I'd be dead myself. So we kind of know the background. Do you want to go into more detail about? when your dad got cancer how it affected like your life when you were at uni and stuff like that so so I always and I was thinking about this a little bit today because I kind of knew I was going to talk about it but I didn't want to think about it too much but a lot of when it happened is still very much a blur Mm. like I don't know if my brain's trying to protect me or what but a lot of things I just can't remember at all um but one thing I can remember is the moment that my mum and dad told us that my dad had cancer the first time. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about it earlier, actually. So me and Toby, who's my youngest sister, we were sat in the living room at mum's house. Penny had gone back to university the day before, or it was, it was, a, it was like Freshers' Week, so it was either her first Freshers' Week or her second Freshers' Week. Yeah. And me and Toby were sat there in the living room, and mum came into the living room, with like deadpan, like serious like look on her face. She was like, girls, can you come through to the kitchen, please? Me and dad need to tell you something. Ugh. And me and Toby, me and Toby, we started placing bets on like what it would be. So I, I was going like, oh, we're moving house. Toby was going, dad's lost his job. And then she was like, oh, we're getting a dog. Like all these things, we were literally like placing bets on what it was going to be. And at, at no point did we ever imagine that it would be your dad's got cancer yeah it was just unimaginable to me yeah that like we just he just would never expect it I just remember like I just sat there in the kitchen and as because I think I think dad said it dad said look I've been diagnosed with cancer and as he started saying the words I could see my mum like welling up see my sister start which is mad for your mum as well exactly like my mum for anyone if you've listened to a couple of these episodes like she is not an emotional person at least not not like in front of me or my sisters or whatever so yeah to see her then crying I was like shit and I like remember just being sat there like what do you even what do you even do in that situation your dad's just gone I've got cancer what what do you do like we just all like just sat there crying like looking at each other and then it's so like, this is a bit it's like, isn't it? like you really want to be able to do something proactive but there's nothing you can do yeah exactly like you want to save that person but the, because this was just the first time that he was being diagnosed it was one of them where he's, it was very much caveated with I've got cancer the doctors are confident that they've caught it early and that it's treatable so yeah obviously it was the horror of you've got cancer but it was always caveated with oh but he's gonna be fine yeah and I always used to say that to people, to other people as well, whenever I'd say, oh, my dad's got cancer, or if they'd ever find out, I'd always caveat it with, oh, yeah, but we're we're optimistic, doctors are optimistic, you know, he's 
get a fire it's going to be fine yeah and then i so i yeah, actually remember going back diagnosed with oh, first. so throat cancer so actually even before this so i remember obviously i didn't click at the time until until after we knew that it was cancer dad had come into the kitchen one day and he'd be like tracy have a look at this wheel, yeah this ain't right is it and he was pointing into his throat and my, i remember like my mum getting her like mobile phone out putting like the torch on and looking like inside my dad's mouth and then just having this conversation about it and how like there was something wrong and my mum and dad are very much the kind of people that you don't go to the doctors and literally unless your leg's hanging off like if there was yeah. ever anything wrong we'd, we'd never go to the doctors it'd just be a whatever have a paracetamol you'll be fine so but I remember like, my mum dead deadly serious being like mm, no that like that's not right let's <laughs> need to go to the doctors um, yeah. so, like the tumor was actually visible like in oh my god that's insane yeah and it's weird actually because he he just had a cough he had a cough because he had this thing in his throat so he just kept coughing loads um, yeah and then obviously it turned out to be that yeah, yeah. so oh. so bizarre I, I can't remember what happened there. I think I went to get my nails done <laughs> <laughs> the thing then that just seems so important and they're not <laughs> I think I'd already had it booked in, I remember, because I think um, it was with Hannah. I could, I drove around to her house, and I remember being sat in the car next to me, and I was, like, starting to well up, and I was like, I need to tell you something. She was like, what? And I was like, my dad's got cancer. And, like, none of us knew what to do. Like, we just were, like, sat there crying. And I was like, well, please go get my nails done. Uh, we're coming oh, with no. <laughs> like, I got my nails done. But it's weird. And then I went back to uni for my second year a week or so after that. And I remember saying bye to him that time. And you know that picture that's always my Facebook profile picture, the black and white one? Where yeah, I love that. Cute. That picture was taken then. It was the first time that I've cried saying bye to my dad. Every time before that, it's just like, a, oh, we'll see you soon. But that was yeah. one of the times where I thought, even though he hadn't like, um, it wasn't diagnosed as terminal then, it just felt extra emotional. Um, yeah. Literally this massive hug before he left. And both of us were like crying. And then he left. And then and then there was like, oh, I've got to tell, I've got to tell the people that I live with. Oh. Yeah. And I was thinking about this earlier because I found it really difficult to know what to say to to them to be able to tell them I was like how do I tell them I was like do I send a message on the group chat do I sit them all down um when I'm in the end I, I remember like asking them all to come into the living room and then I just sat there and like I said again well, I've got cancer but then again it was always caveated with but you know it's gonna be fine over and they were really good actually like that was it but because at the time we just always thought he was gonna get better um it didn't yeah. really change things too much but I did like your life, your life does just carry on as normal doesn't it yeah. other than like other than you knowing in the back of your head what's going on yeah. nothing changes does it exactly and like nothing did change really for a while it wasn't until he had to have so he had like um radiotherapy and chemotherapy yeah and I'd been kind of going home a little bit in between and seeing him whatever but then he they the chemo and the radio didn't get it all so he had to have this huge operation where they essentially had to like literally cut open his face and they were like oh we'll, we'll just scrape the cancer out as because perhaps do so they literally had to when, like, the more i think thinking on it now i'm like shit me like they literally had to saw through his face to open up his throat to get this tumor out 
and such like, an hour operation. Yeah, it was a fourteen hour operation. Fourteen hours. Fourteen hours. Oh my god. Yeah, it was really weird because he was having this operation at the same time. So this, I was, I was revising for exams, but Mr. Drew's School for Boys was on the telly on like it premiered the same day that he was having his operation. So I was oh. watching my healthy dad on the telly, but knowing he was very much not healthy. Yeah. have like literally currently having the operation oh that's so crazy to think about yeah it was so it was so weird because it was nice it, it was kind of nice in a way to see my dad healthy again so my dad was a like a big guy so when he started having the chemo in the um especially the chemo and that like he just he completely changed I mean he started yeah get like really gone don't yeah they? yeah I mean he'd started to lose weight anyway I think even before he got diagnosed because um that's a symptom of cancer, though, isn't it? You lose weight unexpectedly. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. But my mum did as well before we found out that she had cancer. We were like, oh, you're losing weight, mum. We didn't. We were like, well, I'm pretty sure she's still like dipping her, her uh, toast crust into the butter. So I was like, I don't know how this is happening. Oh, oh, so that's the thing, right? So it was actually really weird because my dad was actually the healthiest he'd ever been at the time. He. He yeah. hadn't smoked for like 10 years. But so his mate had got diabetes, I think. So he had to get really, really healthy. So dad joined him and they were both on this like massive oh, health kick. It was so cute. They got out for like cute bike rides together. And... Oh, I love that. So yeah, he had this like massive operation. And then, oh God, after the operation, so my dad was a teacher, like a really good one at that. He just won like this award. He'd obviously been on the telly for teaching and stuff. And after the operation, they said to him, you will never be able to speak. You know, yeah, you'll never be able to teach again because they thought that he wasn't ever going to be able to speak again because they just, yeah. like, you know, like, teared out his throat. Um, yeah. Which he, that was the one thing, I think, that really spurred him on to try and recover because he loved teaching. It's such yeah. a passion of his. Like, he loved the people that he taught with, the kids that he taught. And he was amazing at it as well. Like, anyone you speak to that ever had him as a teacher will tell you. So he, as he would do, defied, like, the doctors. And he recovered so, so quickly from this operation. Like, the doctors were like, this is insane. Like, you sh- should not be recovered as you are. <laughs> and it was another one of them. You know, yeah, well, the doctors are really confident that they've got it all this time. Yeah. Uh, and then I can't really remember the exact timelines. I think it was actually not long after. He managed to go, so he managed to start teaching again. He went back to school, but because he would get really, really tired. That was the that was one of the worst things for him, especially the chemo and stuff. It makes you so tired. Yeah. And then he, the school that he worked at were really, really good. He kind of went back to school maybe like one day a week or something. It would like absolutely like, write him off for the rest of the week but he'd still do it and he would put on a brave face and be there for the kids and the teachers and whatever else one of them when you love, when you love something so much you don't want to give it up completely do you? yeah exactly yeah. and then it must have been and actually it was pretty much exactly a year later that we got told he was terminal now this is the this is the moment that i do not remember like, i can't remember being told it was terminal I can't remember if I was with my sisters or not I think again Penny wasn't there Penny had gone back to uni that week so they told us I I, I can kind of remember I can't remember if, oh, I don't know I can kind of remember were you at home? Not remember. yeah I was at home I just can't remember whether mm. Toby was there or I don't know it was I actually you know like I don't know it must be my brain like 
surprising though, isn't it? Like, yeah. I've tried to remember because I tried to, I was sat there today thinking, oh, I definitely remember this. And then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, no, I definitely don't. <laughs> no, I, I totally get that. Like stuff like that, trauma, I swear your brain just doesn't let you relive it. it just tries to protect you, I think. Yeah, I think it does. And then it was all very much a blur from then on. But dad said to all three of us, right, tell me one thing you want to do before before I die. Toby was big into like geography at the time and so literally the next day I get a phone call we're going to Lanzarote and I was like what dad was like Toby told me yesterday she wanted to go to see a volcano so I booked a trip to Lanzarote and it was just like it was really nice we had a like a lovely week break I think it was like a week or so in Lanzarote we went walking up a volcano yeah I love the holiday yeah and i remember um dad almost wasn't allowed to fly because mm. he was so far down the line and yeah <laughs> even the macmillan nurse had said to him i think actually it was really touch and go before we went because we didn't even know if he would make it to the holiday them, it's like dude like we really just don't need to die on our yeah. plane <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but it was re- they genuinely didn't even think he'd make it for the holiday but obviously dad oh. was like mm, i thought this i'm going so we went and it was it was really, really lovely but so the thing with dad's as well was because it was his throat he then he couldn't speak really so a lot of the time obviously cancer's invisible but dad's was yeah. visible like you could see the tumor on his neck he had it was and yeah. it was it was honestly disgusting because it would like pus and it would leak and did he have like a tube in his neck um, i don't know actually i don't think mm. so he'd had um I just remember him having loads of band like loads of bandages and like dressings. My mum having to keep yeah. changing his dressing and stuff. He had to be really careful about how he moved and mm. what he did or whatever. So that was for him, he didn't like that because people could see that and you could tell, you know, and everyone looks anyway, don't they? Everyone's intrigued. But also he he couldn't eat because obviously his throat had just been ripped out. Well he but he had yeah. to eat really really slowly yeah that was a massive thing for my dad because he was a big foodie as well like he used to be a chef and he loved his food so we had like yeah. the the breakfast at the hotel and he'd go down to breakfast at like 6 a.m and we'd we'd, <laughs> we'd still be munching away at like eight yeah we exactly oh yeah blah. we'd always want to still sit there with him but he really didn't want that he was always like he didn't he didn't ever want like like whatever he was going through to get in the way of anyone else <laughs> dad because he was such a character wasn't he like always like he was always the, like the center of attention he was always the center of attention and all of a sudden he didn't he didn't want to be center of attention for obvious reasons yeah. Um, but yeah that that was like when it started to get really difficult for us because it's just when you when you then start to actually see them in pain yes, yeah when you actually see them suffering you're like oh shit i think it's almost like they're the parents and they're the heroes and you just think that you're that you're like they're there for you when you're in pain and it just feels so unnatural to have to switch that round yeah isn't it? exactly and that was that was one thing my yeah. dad did not want to be fed through a tube he was like that was literally you could have severed his arm off and he'd have been like yeah take the arm just don't let me be fed through a tube he really did he must have really lost a lot of weight by that oh point. yeah like, like when even when you, when you see pictures of him it was really weird to see because he just he looked so different. Yeah. Even when I look at pictures when he was still able to walk about and stuff. Yeah, he, he looks like it's a completely different bloke. Horrible the way that doesn't just affect that one. Oh, area. yeah. So my dad used to describe it, actually. I remember him saying this when we were on holiday. I was asking him about how he felt and what it was doing to him and stuff. And dad described it as he was like, it's like getting old. He said, but you just get old really, really quick. So 
everything that happens when you get older that's what happens to you but just really really quickly and way before it should happen like all your insides are just shutting down it's just it's it's just all it's horrible isn't it i remember people describing it as that and i was like oh yeah so then we were coming back from the holiday and stuff every single week driving back and forth from uni back home obviously because so i wanted to see him as much as possible i was like obviously thinking about like dropping out of uni and whatever else and, um yeah. oh and then i remembered this earlier actually i've forgotten about this i was running for jcr president wasn't i at the time because i remember actually thinking should i do that or should i not like my dad's dying i probably should have put an effort into doing something literally. yeah literally i i don't even know why i did it it probably wasn't good but then i remember i was in the hospice with my dad on like results day and they'd set up so my dad was in um st john's hospice in mansfield so he moved from the house into there he'd i don't think he ever wanted to go in a hospice but like he was a sensible bloke and he knew that it was best for him and best for mum yeah, you couldn't just put on one. No, because like it takes so much looking after someone. Like it's cleaning them, isn't it, as well, and trying to get them fed and yeah. And there was really nowhere that dad could have stayed in the house. We didn't have a downstairs toilet or anything. Yeah, yeah it just wouldn't have been practical. So as soon as obviously get on like a waiting list or whatever, and then we got the call that the hostel bed was ready, and he went in, and it was one. Of, it was like exactly how you imagine a hostel to be. Like it felt like an old people's home. But the staff there are really nice. We used to get free custard creams. Oh, nice. That's the least they can give you when your dad's dying, really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, to be fair. Um, But actually, I can't remember how long he was in there for. I remember him being in there for quite a while. We had so many people. And that's the time when everyone comes and visits. Like, you see family that you've never, ever seen before. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, relatives turn up and I was like, who are you? And they're like, Like, oh, that would work. Yeah have absolutely no idea who any of these people are and that was actually really that was really difficult at the time because you've got all these people that you don't know who they are vying for mm. your dad's time and all you want is your dad's time and you have yeah to, you have to give up the time so these people that literally are only showing up now because he's dying so because it, it yeah. got to a point where like dad couldn't speak he was like typing stuff he brought himself the latest tablet or whatever and he started like typing on the tablet and you know like to literally had to like type it and turn it around to speak and whatever it was actually really heartbreaking because i wanted nothing more i remember spending a day just me and dad in the hospice and um yeah. everyone would go in and everyone would chat to him and you can just see like, how difficult it was for him to speak he was in so much pain even just saying so I spent a day with him just me and him and literally didn't say a word but it was so painful because I just wanted to I wanted to speak to him so badly but like I couldn't because I knew but then I, I remember like when my mum turned up that evening my dad was like your daughter's been amazing today like hasn't made me speak or anything like that kind of stuff and I was like yeah. it I feel like that's all they want at that point, though. Like, you're just company. Yeah, literally just sat there, like, holding his hand. You know, that's... Yeah, I, I used to do it. I'd, like, lie on, lie on my mum's bed with him. We'd just lie there for ages and just not say anything because it's painful for them to have to speak, exactly. isn't it? It's exhausting. Exactly, yeah. And it was, like, it was so difficult to other people that didn't understand this. And I'd be like, yeah. speaking to him, like, the man's dying, let him die. Um, yeah. <laughs> his last words to do. Um... But then, I mean, it was funny. Like we had a we had a lot of laughs in the hospice. Like, and I specifically remember like this one time when 
the, so obviously the nurse is coming in out and they're always checking his pain levels and stuff and that god that's a whole other thing like the drugs that they gave him he literally went insane like oh my god yeah. my dad ran away from the hospice like literally ran away from the hospice have i ever told oh, you that yeah you have he literally right like so they give the drugs that they give them are like psychotic drugs um, yeah and like this one night someone had left the front door unlocked at the hospice and he managed <laughs> to escape through this yeah he managed to escape but I remember like I think it was the first time he escaped more than once the first time he escaped so I remember we'd just left and the hospice was like half an hour away from my house and we got home and the my mum got a phone call and all we heard was we, we've lost we've lost Ben and mum was like what do you mean you've lost Ben and they were like <laughs> we lost him and you can imagine my mum be like what what do you mean you've lost him? And my mum got off the phone and be like, they've lost your dad. And I was like, he literally just left the hospice. He was there. How can they lose him? Like, he's massive. Like, I don't get it. Sam, you know when you're telling people like, oh, yeah, I um, I, I lost my dad. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like, like I don't know lost him. He's escaped from the hospice. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's the thing. Because when they said we lost him, I thought... As, as soon as mum said, what do you mean you've lost him? You know, like, they heart drops. And you're like, oh, shit, he's gone. Yeah. But no, he just ran away. And he <laughs> he ended up handing himself into the hospital down the road, like, <laughs> however many minutes or hours later. I don't know. but So no one knows what happened when he went missing. Probably went for a pint. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he would have tried. Oh, in his In his <laughs> hospital scans as well. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it must, have, oh. it must have been a scary thing, like, to come across, though, because then the second time he managed to escape, he ended up having to get, like, literally, like, wrestled to the ground by, like, the security oh. and, like, the nurses and whatever, because it, that was that was terrifying. Like, I wasn't there for it, but, like, just hearing about it and hearing my mum speak about it and... So because it character. Yeah, it literally turns them to, to a completely different person. Like, you would have no, like, memory of it. They give you so many drugs, and they are psychotic drugs, so they just... Yeah. They just couldn't do horrendous stuff to you. And that's the part that I had never knew, I never knew about. Well, I don't think anybody really prepares you for it, do they? No. But, that, but like, that's the thing that like, you, you just never even, I just never even think about. Like, them turning my dad into literally like a bear trying to escape. <laughs> but yeah, so that was mad. I have, I do have fond memories of being in the hospice, to be fair. I think just because it, it, it felt like a really long Christmas. As in yeah. spending time with family members that obviously most of them you absolutely love, but family members that you've literally some of them you've got no idea who they are. Yeah, you've never met before. Turn up and give you a five pound um, gift set from Boots. Oh god, mate! I wish they even gave me that. Not even a custard cream from them. <laughs> and then when he was like really going downhill, it was already like the end of term and stuff. So I was yeah. Um, we literally lived in the hospice for about a week because it was one of them where it was like. Right, any time now, any time now, any time now. Um, any time now, one later. Um. Yeah, and it was a, it was about a week that we kind of, we tried to stay there as much as we could, or we'd like go home and then come back the next day. But yeah, so then, but it got to the night when it happened and the nurses had put us up in, they had like a room just with loads of couches in. I can't remember what they called it now. Probably just like the death, death room. room. Yeah, they put me and my sisters on the sofas in there because I think it was it was like right, no, it's definitely going to be tonight. It's definitely going to be tonight. Oh, that's yeah. what I was going to say. You know, um, it took him ages to actually die, and we were all. I remember my mom literally like stood there crying over him, being like, "Ben, just go. If you can hear me, you can go yeah. now. It's 
fine. And we were talking about, you know, how you read in all like real life magazines, how people are like, we said, get all, or we played a song or something like we played a song and, and he went. So we were like, right, what songs can we play? Right. What? <laughs> Like, it sounded ridiculous. We were, like, trying to get him to die because we're like, we've been here for so long and this is just really dragging out now. There's only so many times you can say goodbye and deal with it. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I got so fat as well when I was when we were in the hospice. Cause oh, we were, oh, my God. Well, we were across the road from, uh, what What do they call them? Like a Brewster Bear or something. Like, one of them, like, two for, two for tenner places. So we'd have dinner there, like, every night. And my cousins are absolute feeders to me and my sisters. So they'd always bring chocolates. I'd probably literally have about two massive bags of munchies a day. Um, <laughs> and I was just, I was so ready to like not live that life anymore. So me and my sisters were asleep in. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In like the, whatever the death room. And um, this this bit I very vividly remember. Like my mum opening the door, it was like three o'clock in the morning. Obviously, we didn't know the time. And she went, "Girls, he's going, he's going." We all just jumped up straight away, ran in there, and mm. obviously you just see him take like the last breath or whatever. Mm. Um, and everyone just kind of stood there trying to hold a bit of him, you know, while it was happening. No one really knew what to do. No one knew where to look because, like, do do you watch? Like, what what? what do you what do you do and then obviously we all just fucking like broke down it's all that stress yeah and then well when you just see him like actually die and then Mm. we all kind of like like one by one gave him a hug and a kiss and left we didn't stay in there long at all I think we very much were just like right that's it let's go but I remember Toby being the last person out the room and I remember like looking back this bit makes me really emotional. Yeah. Like looking back in the room and just seeing Toby, my youngest sister, just holding my dad and like crying and saying, and that's the thing as well, like you say bye to them, even though they can't hear you, they're dead. Yeah. You say, you say bye. And I remember hearing Toby say bye, dad. And I just like mm-hmm. broke down. And then yeah. by this time, so it was like at 3.23 in the morning or something like that that he died. So by the time everything was sorted and, you know, whenever we left the hospice, it was a Friday night. So the Saturday was a rugby day and we'd always used to go to the rugby on a Saturday and they were playing at home and we made the decision to go to the rugby club but yeah so we went to the rugby club that day which was weird because 
we were obviously the center of attention so they did they did a minute silence before the match they presented mum with my dad's jersey oh yeah it was really nice but we just spent the whole day crying and you just have people coming up to you hooking you and saying I'm really sorry I'm really sorry and it's nice that so many people cared about him and that but it's just one of them weird days where it's like funerals you know where literally people like you just cry all day and people just watch you cry all day (laughs) and obviously none of us had any sleep yeah you know what was it like like going back to the house that night I can't actually I can't remember the day after literally the rest of it was a blur yeah and then the next thing I remember after that was Christmas and we'd gone over to Auntie Vicky's house and then most of that was really really a blur and it's a funeral and then you were back to uni the very next day after the funeral oh my god yeah so I was meant to be back at uni on the 7th of January for that training and the funeral was on the 7th of January so yeah I went and we got absolutely fucking smashed on the night of the funeral like oh my god the funeral I have one regret in my life well, a few drunk regrets, but one, <laughs> one sober regret in my life. And that is that I didn't take a selfie at my dad's funeral. That was weird as that sound. So many hundreds of people there, weren't there? there was, honest, there was over a thousand people there. They ran, we were at Kellam Hall in Newark and they ran out of seating. People were stood around the outside. Aww. This is a place that people get married at. And that's the place I had that chari- the charity ball at. Yeah. So that was the thing. So I said, Dad, Dad. So he was an atheist, like the, the kind of atheist that the Jehovah's Witnesses used to send their new like trainees to our house to be like, <laughs> like let's see if you can handle Ben Vidler kind of thing. <laughs> So he very much wanted a humanist ceremony and choked my dad. My dad chose his MC. So the MC met my dad before the funeral. My dad chose the burial ground that he was at. He chose I mean, his... It's because he was so organised. Oh, yeah. So that's another thing he said. I had a few conversations with him before he died. And he was like, I don't want to leave your mum with any more burden than she has to have. He was like, anything yeah. I can do now to make your mum's life easier, I will do. So he literally planned his own funeral down to yeah. like flicking through the coffin catalogue. Um, <laughs> and I'd sit down and chat to him. And he said to me... I don't want to. I don't want any more burden to be on you or your mum or anyone else after I'm da- after I've gone. He's like, I'm not gonna. For example, he was like, don't expect any. He's like, don't expect like on your wedding day to there be like a recording of me or whatever. He's like, I don't <laughs> want any of you to have to have to have to relive the grief. Yeah. He did stuff like so. My mum was she's the type of person that two weeks before her birthday she'll buy herself everything that she needs so you can't buy her anything. Yeah. <laughs> but he Doesn't made. Surprise. But he made sure that, like, got my mum a new bed, my mum had sorted a new car. All the things that he knew that she wouldn't do, he made sure to do that. Like, he was dying, he was still, like, organising all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the the funeral was really nice. Loads of people spoke. I didn't. I didn't think I could. I still don't think I would have been able to. But, like, I wrote a poem and the MC read it out. Both Penny and Toby did a talk. And Toby's was hilarious. She just did amazing. She always always surprises me my little cousin did like oh, the cute so my little cousin Daniela she was obviously quite young at the time she'd written yeah. like a poem when she, about her uncle Ben when he was in the hospital oh. yeah. and then like my dad's both my dad's best mates uh, my godfather and Adam they both did a speech and you walked into the funeral and I didn't make eye contact with a lot of people because I just you know you you've got all eyes on you and I I yeah. didn't want to look up I wish I'd looked up more. As I was walking in, I was looking around and you see there's people at the back in school uniforms. There's people in the middle in full on biker gear. There's people to the right in like Hawaiian shirts. There's like (laughs) 
with your wide variety of friends. It'd be like going to one of your funerals, Sam. One of them is going to have many. It'd be like yeah, <laughs> one of my funerals. <laughs> maybe, I'll have a, maybe I'll have a premature one. I feel like you've had many funerals throughout your life so far. <laughs> I've attended enough of them, I think. They usually feature, feature a Domino's pizza and a day with the sick bucket. <laughs> RIP to my life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that that was the amazing thing. So many people were there and so many just, it was just amazing. Everyone went back to my, so my parents owned a pub for like 25 years, even though it wasn't theirs anymore. Me and Penny, I think, I don't think Toby came. We were just like, just want to get, we just want to get pissed. Yeah. And we'd been back to the rugby club already and said, seeing loads of people at, at the rugby club and so we went got very drunk and then regretted it the next day when I had to drive like three hours back to Lancaster <laughs> um, story of your life mate yeah <laughs> yeah I got very drunk and regretted it the next day <laughs> <laughs> that would be the like the name of my autobiography it's like on your, on your tombstone yeah <laughs> literally life Getting very drunk and regressing it the next day. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. And then obviously I got I got to uni and I was greeted by you, Catherine, and Hannah um, oh, yeah. with a bunch of flowers and a card. And that that made me feel so much better. Coming back to people that like, like no one was like pandering after me, kind of thing. It was just really that was just like a really nice simple gesture that I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I think it's kind of kind of because like obviously Hannah knew a bit of what you were going through because of her dad and I I would be going through that in the future because my mum so I think it was me and Hannah thought it would be really important that was like a DPC moment there wasn't it yeah yeah so like so did you have people around you then that you could talk to at the time because obviously we weren't as close then really as obviously no I didn't speak about it at all like literally not at all so me and my sisters at the time we're not very emotional together my mum me and her not very emotional together I mean the only time I'd ever get emotional about it was when I was drunk and it was every time that I was drunk every you were a nightmare (laughs) which I'd be the worst yeah Um, Samantha (laughs) oh god so Samantha (laughs) Samantha is my drunken alter ego Samantha yeah, she hasn't been around for a while. But yeah, one of the things that I speak about quite a lot is that the girls that I lived with, they they definitely thought it was the best thing for me at the time, but they would change the subject whenever anyone would mention anything to do with the dad. It was it was weird actually, um the amount that they did avoid it. Yeah. I mean, cuz I I wasn't I wasn't a very open person at the time either, I suppose. So it's probably weird for them just me trying to open up about anything. Yeah. I'd never been an emotional person. I didn't hardly cry at all. It literally wasn't until when I got ill and then I just fucking cry all the time. Like now I literally cry at <laughs> every like washing machine adverts on the telly. Yeah. Cry over pizza and stuff. Oh, and... L- legit. Yeah. And now I'm so emotional, but I think it was just weird for them at the time. And I was, I was like a textbook, one of them people that would hold it in and hold it in and it would all build up. And then I get drunk and I would literally explode. And that would happen weekly yeah. like I would just go out and be the definition of a state there's so many times where I was just just like on like self-destruct mode I think yeah it's just I'd not like, the right way to cope is it but at the time because no, there's no other option yeah like I was getting like really violent on nights out to people I was punching my best friends and stuff. it was just not me it was some weird been like controlled by this grief that was not me yeah. and then I'd wake up the next day and try and speak to my housemates about it like you know I'd probably punch my housemate the night before and I'd go and be like 
can we speak about last night? And they just be like, look, it's fine, forget about it. And they thought that was the best way to kind of be. Yeah. Um, I did have a couple of people like Georgia Gagan, who every single time I spoke to her, just like she would just sit and listen and Aww. just be such a gem. Um, so it was kind of like people like that. And I had like Flaminia and I mean, a load of other people around that did let me speak about it, but I didn't, you know, I didn't see them all the time. And everyone's like, oh, you know, reach out. But but you don't, you don't reach out, do you? If you're at home crying. You don't want to like and be like, hi, just reaching out. <laughs> Yeah, like you don't. So yeah, the people to broach the subject with you, I think, for you to then have that open and honest conversation about it. Yeah, yeah, and there were like a couple of people that would like Georgia and fam that would like all like just organize a dinner or whatever, and we'd go and talk about it over food. Yeah, but it was a weird one, and again, I don't really remember much of that year to be honest. Probably because you were drunk for ninety percent of it. Yeah, that's literally what I was going to say. I was literally just drunk the whole time. Yeah, which was not big and not clever. Don't anyone ever do it. You will hurt yourself and you will hurt your friends. Ah. Oh, wise words, girl. <laughs> like, obviously, things have changed since then, and like, especially when we've been living together and stuff, you kind of mellowed out, and we kind of built that space where we could talk openly about it. So, like, do you think that everything that's happened now, it's like changed the way that you go about your life and your attitudes towards it and your relationships and stuff like that? Yeah, I think the whole the classic cliche, um, life's too short. Yeah, that's always one that I'm. You know, because you, like, you never know what's going to happen. Okay. So I'm always, you know, life's too short, eat the cake. But, Aww, sister. <laughs> but also, obviously, you know, I've got that tattoo from my dad. So because my dad was like a big character in like the local community, everyone knew him. He was always in the papers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They interviewed him for his final interview. So like well, the headline of the story was, I won't spend my last days crying over lost tomorrows. Aww. Says former Newark pub landlord diagnosed with terminal cancer. So that quote that I won't spend my last today is crying over lost tomorrows that's what I've got tattooed on the top of my back oh yeah um so like the full quote of it says I won't spend my last today is crying over lost tomorrows I am not happy to die because I feel I have too much to live for but I am going to die a very happy man um yeah and I'm like reading through now and he says some really nice stuff he was always a um very realistic person oh this one was really nice if my life was not so wonderfully happy, I would not feel so sad about leaving it. I know I have to leave it, but it is sooner than I had hoped. And he said, I know I have a certain amount of time and my time is still owing to my wife, children, friends and family. My life has been a full one. I have no desire to jump off a bridge or skydive. I am happy to sit here and listen to my daughter's voices. Oh. I have no specific enlightenment to pass on, but I would like to say a thank you to everybody involved in my life. Oh. <laughs> From... Oh God, I'm crying. (laughs) From the crazy dude on the train who tap danced when I was 18 to cheer (laughs) me up to almost every chance encounter I've had since. He said, I am not a religious man, but to use the word blessed is not too strong to describe how my family have enriched my life. (laughs) If I'm going to have to leave the party, at least it has been a good party. (laughs) I love that. Oh, Sam. Can you please put them in the show notes? Because they are such nice words. He was was so good with words and he he always, always knew the right thing to say yeah I don't, think, I don't think i've ever heard the whole of that segment before yeah i haven't read it for a long long time i think even since before he died isn't it amazing oh i love reading words like that it was that you know i don't have any desire to jump off a bridge like he says his time is still owing to me and my sisters and my mum. i remember him sat there explaining it to me and he was like i just want to spend the rest of my life how i was happiest he said i was happiest surrounded by oh you three and your mom. 
Lakers, and that's that's all he wanted for his last few weeks, just to be that. That's where he was happiest. Which is amazing. Shows shows how much of a family man he was, and how much he loved you guys. You know, yeah, big time. Yeah, it was such such a family man. Yeah. Anyway, talking about dad too much. Um, no, that's the whole point, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was thinking. I was thinking earlier, actually, and actually, there's there's two specific times that have really um, led me like to be able to talk about it more. And the first one was, do you remember when Bex asked me to do her art show, yeah. her degree show? So my friend Bex did art, fine art at university for her like kind of final year project. She picked like three of her friends mm-hmm. to to sit in a spot under a spotlight with a camera on them and need dough while she asked them really difficult questions and that was the first time that I'd openly spoken about the whole process leading up to my dad dying like being in the hospice and yeah you know all this other stuff I'd not I'd never ever said it out loud before until then and I remember thinking that was like that was so therapeutic so that was really really good for me and then also so I speak about my dad a lot but it's because like I did before he died yeah. He always had a story for everything. He was a strong president. Yeah, there was always something relevant to say. So I went into railing like the summer after he died. Yeah. And I remember then we went to Lee's Fest afterwards. I remember being like after a drink or two, sat in the tent with Bethany and Sophie and just being like, Oh, I'm really sorry for talking about my dad so much. Like I hope like I'm really conscious of it. And both of them were like, like, don't be silly. We like hearing about your dad. Like, it's not like you're sat there saying, oh, dad's dead. Like, you're telling like, funny <laughs> stories and you always did talk about him. So why wouldn't you? Yeah. And I think just for me, because I'd been in that entire year of people saying to me, don't speak about it. Don't want you to get upset. Let's not speak about it. Yeah. Let's change the subject. Yeah. That it was so refreshing for people to actually just say to me, like, dude, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. Oh. We endorse it, don't we? Love a good chat. Yeah, exactly. It's so important. So I think then we'll end this then with the standard question of what would you say to other people that have experienced something similar? Oh, God. Do you know what? I've not actually thought about this answer. I hadn't uh, either when you asked me the other week. I was like, why didn't I think about this before? Because Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the one thing which I think about. I started thinking about, like, <laughs> all the times in the hospice and whatever. <laughs> That's, not help- That's not helpful to anybody, Sam. Um, <laughs> What would I say to someone? Actually, tell a lie. So our friend, I don't know if she wants to be called out on the podcast, so I won't, but her dad passed away last last week, the week before. And I was kind of one of the first people that she came to. And the first thing I said to her was, take time, like make sure you take time for yourself. Like just like listen to yourself, take yourself out of whatever situation you're in. If you're at uni, just take yourself home. Just have a bit of time to yourself. Go and like just lock yourself away and cry for a bit if you have to. Uh, I think that's really important. Don't just think. So I and my mum was very much of the view like stay busy, keep keep your mind off it. I wouldn't like don't keep your mind off it forever. It's fine here and there, but at the end of the day, the more you think about it and the more you talk about it, the easier it then gets to talk about it and think about it. I think I made a big mistake in literally having the funeral, going back to you the next day, and not having absolutely any time to process. It wasn't as if I even like went back to uni for a bit and then had time to process a, a couple of months down the line. I literally didn't. I didn't do any processing until like a year later. Yeah. And so definitely just take the time to process it. Speak about it with your family as early as possible because the longer you leave it, 
or with your friends, whatever, the longer you leave it, the harder it gets. It's very difficult for me and my sisters and stuff to talk about it because we, we never have, we haven't done previously. Whereas, um, I don't know if it would be the case if we just started speaking about it sooner, we might be more open to speak about it together. And also don't, don't drink it away. Like mm-hmm. you can have a little drink. So what used to happen was I'd go out and obviously when you have a couple of drinks, or I'd have a few drinks, I'd get to the cry stage. Yeah. But what I then learned was that I could get past the crying stage and I won't cry anymore. Okay. And then I get to the blackout stage. Yeah. And what I would do then was just every night out, I wouldn't even give my chance give myself chance to get to the crying stage. I'd go straight to the blackout stage. Yeah. And it obviously just got more and more intense each time. Um so look, you need to cry, right? Just fucking cry. I still do it now. Like I was at work a few months ago now. Everyone was like, what are you going to do this weekend? I was like, I'm going to go lay horizontally and cry. Right. I, <laughs> I find myself now, when I do start crying, I find it so hard to stop because I think I kind of keep it in for periods of time. Then once I get the opportunity to cry, I bore. And like me and the girls yeah. want to go and watch that film, A Star is Born, in the cinema. Oh, my God. Have you seen it? Oh, my goodness. And I knew that I was going to cry, so I was quite excited because I was like, oh, I'm going to get a bit of release from this, a bit, bit of tearing. Little did I know, oh, the girls wouldn't, couldn't, like, wouldn't stop laughing at me because even on the way back to the car, I was just constantly just, I'm just so upset about it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm done. just could not stop crying. It was like constant tears. It's like little things now. Like will set me off, and I will feel the pain for so much longer than than I think maybe like normal yeah. people do. Like I feel exactly. the pain so much more. They like feel the pain more, and that's another thing. I think every emotion I feel now is more intense. Yeah, so much stronger. No matter what that emotion is, even like love though as well. Like love for my friends and love for people that I meet. It's like so intense. Yeah, so, like every every single thing, and also like every significant moment is more is even more significant. Yeah, and it's not like so. This is what I always say to people because everyone's always like, when I like graduated or whatever, or when I got my new job, or when I got the house, and people always say, "Oh, you know, it's amazing what you've been able to do." And I'm like, I'm not the one that died. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'm still a perfectly functioning human being. Yeah, Um, I mean, obviously, it's a nice gesture. People thinking that I'm doing amazing, but like at the end of the day, I think we forget though that from the outside, what we've been through is uncomprehensible to some people like even to us it was like we could never have imagined losing our parents at a young age so I think yeah, we have to think like because people to me were like wow the fact that you got a two one and your mum died at uni the fact that you got a first Sam and your dad died at uni like that is a feat and a half to accomplish and I think we forget that I think I think people that have gone through a lot of grief and still come out the other side of it and are doing okay that in itself is incredible i always find it difficult to pull myself out of it you know and to be like like to pull myself out um and to look at it from the outside in but you're right because i do when when my friends text me or when, when people say when anyone says to me that their parents just died or whatever i'm all I'm heartbroken oh, for them i'm yeah, like you, oh my god I can't. yeah and I, but i'll say that i'll say, i can't imagine how you feel <laughs> obviously i fucking can like i've been mm-hmm. through it but you always obviously more sorry for other people I think than you do for yourself yeah we're way harder on ourselves than I think we should be yeah but like so for example even when I came out here the first thing that anyone says to me is your dad would be so proud Mm. and it's literally anything I do 
when I got the house, the first thing anyone says to me, I'd be so proud. Yeah. But I'd be, it means I just fucking cry every single time I do something. <laughs> yeah. Everyone says that to me. And I'm like, great. Well, I was really happy and now I'm sad again. Because <laughs> yeah. my dad's not here to actually see me do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's nice. I still encourage people to say it. But it's just a, it's just part and parcel of it, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think I've got any more advice. I haven't really. Just um, surround yourself with good people and if there are people that um are being a bit shit like just fucking don't have them in your life make sure push for extensions at uni if you're at uni push to get time with counsellors if you can i didn't see a counsellor properly i just kept i just basically just went to get like a, a note to say that i was <laughs> not okay um, but i definitely wish that i had had it carried on well thank you so much for all of your advice sam I feel like I've not really given much advice and I've just um you have you've done really you've done really well very proud of you okay great thanks princess your dad would be so proud (laughs) 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 oh that is funny right can you stop recording now yeah love you okay keep talking to me just stop recording (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this week's DPC podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and have found some comfort in the stories that you've heard today. If you've resonated with anything we've said, have any questions or want to get involved, please do contact us. We're on Instagram. It's at DPC podcast. You can email us on dpcpodcast at hotmail.com or we have a contact form on our website www.dpcpodcast.co.uk We have a whole bunch of resources over on our website. More information about dealing with grief, losing a parent and professionals to contact if you should need it. Because as Kat so eloquently said in our first podcast, we're not providing healthcare, we're just chatting shit. (laughs) If you think this podcast could help someone, then we would love for you to share it. We upload new podcasts every week, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Loads of love from Sam and Kat. See you next Tuesday. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.